What is up, everybody? And welcome to the Real Talks podcast. My name is Mike Singletary. And I am Frank Chen, and we are going to be your hosts. And what we're going to do is break down what it takes to live life on your terms through entrepreneurship, specifically real estate investing. So we're going to hit it hard, the good, the bad, and the real, because that climb, as any entrepreneur knows, is never smooth. So let's get real. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Real Talks Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Frank Shandy, along here with Mr. Mike Singletary. Say what's up, What's up? What's up? Well, we got another banger for you guys today, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest. His name is Casey Ames, and he is first and foremost a man of Christ and as well as a family man. I love when bios start that way because it leads with family first. He's a father of three, Marley, uh, his 16-year-old daughter, 10, Jace is his middle boy, Cash, which I always love, great name, his four-year-old. He's happily married to his loving wife, Rebecca Ames, for 15 years now. Let's give this guy an applause. 15 years, that's a feat right there. And <laughs> altogether, this family brings me a tr- he brings them a tremendous amount of joy. What's really cool about uh, Casey as well, he owns several companies. Gemstate, which is a cash offer, uh, it's cash offers, which is a wholesale company. Uh, Taylor Jean, which is uh, a spec arm of his business and a also has a luxury arm as well. And Adonai Construction, which was, what was that stand for again, Casey? It's Hebrew. It's like God's works. God's works. So God's works in construction, which I think is such a clever name, uh, which builds custom construction uh, homes, ground up, and also a multi-family vertical division. Man, that was a lot to get out there. So you must be hard for me to say. Um, we must, yeah. Uh, and among a couple more companies in the development space, he also runs a uh, coaching program called We Develop. And out of everything, that is where his passion lies, watching his students reach high levels of success. And he also tries to be a steward uh, and to be consistently and constantly moving things forward and towards doing more and more of that. Welcome to the show, Casey. I bet you're just absolutely busy. So thanks for cutting out the time today, brother. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. That was uh, quite the introduction. I think we're done for the day. We got it all. all. Right. That's we it, guys. Leave your comments all. below. Five stars, thumbs up. <laughs> so we got a lot to dive in. I want to go into each of these businesses, but more importantly, the man behind each of these businesses and kind of let's dive into that, man. I know like a lot of the times we'll dive in, let, oh, let's tell your story. We only focus on the good, but you know, where did you all begin and kind of what was the pivotal point in your life where you're kind of like, hey, let's go on this entrepreneurial journey. Let's make some money and uh, let's own all of this on our own. Yeah. So uh, once again, thanks for the introduction. Um, it really, it really was, you'll hear me talk about God quite a bit in this. Uh, I, I give him all the credit and all the glory in that. And, and as I paid attention over the years to kind of like what has happened, went back and like reflected on what happened. He was just so, uh, I mean, he, he's just always five steps ahead. So we, I had a, a tumultuous uh, upbringing. Let's just call it that and leave it there. Um, essentially in my twenties, I had two people that passed away that were very close to me. Um, they were, they were my brothers and they were, uh, that's all I knew. Right. Um, so when that happened, I was, I was stranded. I was afraid. I, I didn't know how to really get out my pain. And I, I kind of just went down, a which was just a vicious path. Um, it took several years. Uh, and during the process, my parents were kind of grieving in their own way and going through their, their whole thing too. Uh, they moved out to Phoenix, Arizona. And back when Tom Kroll had just started Wholesaling Inc., um, they ended up actually bumping into Tom Kroll uh, at like some meetup or something. And um, he, they had just got ripped off like 200K. They were trying to do a flip. And it was basically a long con that this lady had been playing. And so essentially they would throw like 15K in a reno and they get X percentage of profit, right? And then they throw in 30K on a bigger one and so on and so forth. Well, it had climbed to where they had thrown like a couple hundred grand, uh, which was their savings at the time. They were in the insurance industry, so not wealthy by any means, um, doing well, but not wealthy by any means. So they threw like 200K in and got ripped off. Well, anyway, Tom, everybody knows Tom and he's just a got the biggest heart out of anyone and um, he wanted to help them. And so uh, altruistically helped them. And part of that was introducing them to Brent Daniels. And so before Brent had even opened up TTP, my parents were actually like his second wholesaling student ever. Oh, wow. um, I was living in the Idaho 
market and I was living in Idaho and I was working, um, serving tables at the time. And my mom kind of called and was just like, Hey, um, I think you'd be really good at this thing that we're doing. It's called wholesaling. You love to talk to people. Um, and so I started calling into the Phoenix market. Um, there's a whole podcast that could be shared that time period, how, um, important that time period was for me spiritually, um, growth wise, uh, my wife and I were dating at the time, but my wife and I, um, you know, had worked through a lot of stuff together and we were really in this like reforming what our new life would be. And so there was a lot of, I want to say risk involved because I was kind of going on this mission, but I think I did it uh, the way that it was supposed to happen, which is essentially I worked those two jobs while learning how to wholesale and calling into that market until I got my first big wholesale deal. Um, I had been practicing tithing and some of the other things spiritually that I was learning about. And uh, I just knew that it was time. So um, inevitably what happened was Brent's systems, he, then he opened up TTP, right? And there was like 5 million cold callers in Phoenix and the market was pretty competitive. And so I, I'm like calling in all these people Well, at, in the background, I'm doing the things that they had suggested that Brent had suggested. So I'm going to like REI meetups. I'm going to places like that. And I was saying that I was working in the Arizona market and I realized very quickly that there was no dominant wholesale figure in the Boise market. Mm. And I had faith and I had gotten a couple deals in Phoenix. Um, and I, I did, it was time. God had just, God, uh, took away the fear and just said, go, it's time to go. And I was, because of the hardship that I had went through, I was laser focused, like, I mean, laser focused and, uh, ambitious and I was on a mission. And so at a certain point I, I called my parents and I just said, Hey, look, I think it's open season up in Boise and I'm going to open my own wholesale company up here. And so I opened up gem state cash, cash offer, uh, within a year, we were doing over a hundred wholesales annually at like an average of like 17 K, uh, per wholesale. And to the point where my business trumped their business, uh, dramatically, and they were also helping me, uh, here, but it was still working theirs. And so we made a family decision that we were going to move them here and we moved them here. And the, the rest of the story is kind of, it evolves from there, but essentially, um, that's how, that was my first start. That was, that was how we started. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I love the way that you led uh, with God first. I'm a believer as well, brother. You know what I'm saying? And, and truthfully, uh, the older I get, uh, the more I lean into it. You know, I don't know if that's, I, it sounds like a natural thing for most people, but it just because you have that point of reference where there's a couple of things you should have took a left, but took a right. And, uh, and it just guides you in the right direction, you know? But what a, what a great story, man. Uh, my biggest thing, because for the people that don't know you now, you build like magnificent homes. We were just looking at it like online at Zillow and we're going to share yeah. it as well too. And you know, you're in a development, you have all these things going on. How did you transition from wholesaling to that? I mean, what, how many years did that take? What did that, what did that look yeah, like? So, I mean, it was essentially like five to six years. Right. And it just goes back to that. First of all, thank you for, for saying that. Um, we, we, if, if anything other than my students, the one, so I design all of our homes. Um, well, I should say I design all of our luxury homes. Um, I've trained my COO of, uh, he's COO of two of my companies. And then I have a separate COO for Taylor Jean Homes, which is the luxury model. But I've trained him uh, on procurement and design over the years. And so he he handles our spec line. And then I'll, I'll critique or whatever, just doing what a CEO does. But um, for the most part, he does that. But I do all the big ones and I get a lot of joy out of it. But to kind of backtrack, um, we got to a stage where I had the whole company automated, right? I, I didn't want to scale it necessarily any larger. We we're doing over a hundred. We we're making money, real money for the first time in our lives. Uh, I was enjoying my life with my wife. We, you know, I have, I have three kids and so I, we're having more kids at the time and all this other stuff. And so my natural progression was just like, we need to open up more revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And, um, I say this on every podcast basically, but I, I want to just kind of illustrate this to the listeners when being ambitious and when having that mindset, that kingdom mindset of like, Hey, I'm going to go tackle the world type of stuff. That's okay. Just remember though, that if you move too quickly, um, you know, the famous saying is the fastest way somewhere is slowly, right? 
if you move too quickly and you forget about that primary business, which is essentially the bloodline to your revenue, um, you can very easily kill the first business by starting the second business. And I think that's, oh, yeah. I think that. that's, it. I've done it too. And, and yeah. that's, that's important to uh, illustrate. And one of the things that we go over in our, our coaching big time is like, Hey, is it the right season for us to scale? Um, so anyway, I started, I started flipping homes and I got three homes right away. And, um, I, I work, I work naturally in that scale and obviously three homes isn't scale, but at the time it was for me. Um, and two of those homes were teardowns. So almost immediately within the time that I started flipping homes, I, and this is just how God works in my life. He's like, oh, okay, you said you're ready. Well, here you go. Um, and we just started building new, new houses. And um, I have a wonderful network. I have a wonderful counsel. I sought counsel uh, to the wise that had done it before me. And I just basically followed their blueprint and um, went to it. And then we scaled that up to, you know, where we're, we're doing like 20, 30 at a time. Uh, and then I, I realized very quickly, and people will have different opinions on this, but I realized very quickly that uh, we did this for, I'd say, probably about two years or so where we were doing both a lot. I realized very quickly that really the flipping model is a very difficult model to scale. Um, and when I say yeah. scale, I'm, you know, I'm talking about seven, eight figure uh, scale a year. And, and it really is, there's so much kinks and stuff. And so I, the, the, the vertical new construction is so much easier process wise, system wise, um, right person, right seat. If you can scale it the right way, it just really kind of, I may, I'm making it sound easier than it is, but it, it just kind of takes care of itself. You control right? the process. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so much like accountability yeah. and expectations on your team. And, and, and then, it, you know, obviously you guys need to perfect and and move forward. But so we so we were in Mexico um, and I we were making, you know, uh, a decent amount of money at the time. Um, I, I we became um, seven figures net worth and for the first time in my life and and really were blessed and grateful in an immense amount of ways. And I I was reflecting, I was looking at the ocean one day and I was reflecting and I realized that I was like miserable, right? Like I had so many things going on, running the wholesale company, doing this, you know, my family life, everything that I just was like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Um, and so when I came back uh, from Mexico, I called a meeting with the higher ups in my company and we essentially came up with Taylor Jean Homes at that time, which was we were gonna go into the luxury market for bigger spreads do less for more. Right. Mm. Uh, and so we did that and with great success. And that's kind of where God showed me that I had some more gifts that I didn't know that I had, which designing is one of them. Um, I seem to be able to put together a pretty good house and the market uh, consistently says that. And so, so it, it allowed me to thrive. Right. Which I think is beautiful. Like Mike, one of the things with you that you always do same with like any of these guys that you talk to when you're doing something that you love, God just like opens the doors and the windows, yeah, right? Like sure. if you're right hearted, you're giving, you're putting him first, you're really trying to build people's lives and wealth at the same mm. time. Like God just opens those windows and doors for you. And mine was the luxury market. That was, mm. that was where I got to kind of shine. I was always good at systems processes. I could do the flips. I could get better deals than most people. I could do all that stuff, but it, it really didn't blossom until we hit the luxury market. And then I realized that the luxury market in my area, and maybe this is just my competitive nature, but I just didn't feel like it was at the bar that it needed to be. And so I, I made it a point to raise that bar. And um, it's blessed us in a lot of ways. God's blessed us in a lot of ways in that field. And so when that happened, um, we went up into the big luxury market and as, as uh, you know, a 3 million plus market. And specifically in this last year, um, I love that market because we, our bread and butter was always that one to two, one to two and a half million dollar spec home where we could do 15 of them at a time, uh, and, uh, make a lot of money. Well, in Boise, that mark is the market that got just annihilated. Mm. Right. And so I lost a lot of money. Like I lost a ton of money and that's full transparency to anyone that's listening. Like, don't think you're better than better than the game. The game's been around a lot, a lot longer, right? Uh, yeah. you, you might win one game, but the series is a whole nother uh, deal. And so I learned a lot from that. Um, but one How long ago was that? Man? What's that? How long ago was that? This last year, this, oh, this last, year was, last year was tough. Um, but 
one of my saving graces was that we did those big luxury homes and the, those big luxury homes is a cash market, largely not dependent on rates. Um, and it's a cash market. And so we did really well in those. And then I, I obviously didn't get into this much, but we, we have a big, uh, multifamily arm also. And so the luxury arm and the multifamily arm really, really made sure that we were okay. And I think the rule out of that uh, is always have, if you're going to hit scale, always have one and one and a half times reserves of what your debt is. Um, if you don't have one and a half times what your debt reserve is, you're probably moving too fast. Um, I think the natural visionary thing is like, oh, I'm going to figure it out, right? All I need to do is get two more properties. And if I do those two more properties, then that will, you know, and then you just get caught up in the Payne's Labyrinth. And so, um, so great, man. The Payne's Labyrinth. You're absolutely right. Yeah. What a great it, way of describing that. It is. And, and so one of the lessons that I learned is that because my capital flow was so easy, I, I could go get capital so easily. Um, I was actually operating further scale than I should have been at. Um, I had the team to do it. So we were completing projects in, in the right timely fashion. We were making our money in the right timely fashion. But when push come to shove and the market drops, because I was getting 100% financing on everything, I'm then now in a position where I have to have a huge amount of capital to refi all these properties, right? And I didn't have it. Um, we were in the middle of them. So the lesson is just, you know, you're not always going to have one and a half times revenue when you're starting out. Uh, a healthy is 1%. And one and a half percent is you're in the season of acquisition and stuff. And so now we're really trying to work more methodically and just, you know, take our scar tissue and learn from it and be, uh, you know, take our wisdom and move in that one and a half percent. We don't we're not acquisitioning unless we have one and a half, uh, one and a half times reserves. That's just the bottom line. I'm not as ambitious as I, I I'm ambitious, but I'm not as ambitious. I'm not willing to go through this again. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Casey, man, thanks for sharing that. Like one of the things I wanted to really come back, like go back to, because I'd like to understand kind of what the mindset was, because every chapter in your life kind of builds into a, you know, your your story. And when one of the things you said that really resonated with me is that you work two jobs and you figure out a way to carve out time to start wholesaling, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like what was your motivation there, right? You're, you're working two jobs, obviously you're coming home exhausted. You got people dependent on you, like. What was kind of continuing to kind of get oh, you waking right up there. in the morning? I know, right? That right there probably was a big motivator. But like what yeah. was continuing? Like, because I know a lot of people out there say that, hey, man, I'm working a full-time job, working 60, 80 hours a week. You know, am I making phone calls? Am I doing this stuff like at eight at night? You know, I don't have any time to do this. What's your advice to them, you know, being in that position before? Well, everyone's different, right? And so I think what I've learned a lot about coaching over the years is you have to take each individual client by the way that they're constructed and the way that their minds and spirit works, right? For me, I've never been like, I don't care about money that much. Like mm. it doesn't concern me. Like I don't have necessarily fears the same way um, about money. And I don't, and I think a lot of that helped me scale, right? Cause I was, I, I in some ways it's a fault. Um, in some ways it was a fault because I wasn't as cautious or conservative as I am now. But I, I think, um, for me, it was always family first. It was it was always about that, especially with going on that journey that I went through before I got into the real estate or investment field. Um, it, I had a lack of family because I, I was struggling, right? right? And so the biggest piece of that puzzle to me was to get my family right. And so when God blessed us with uh, the abundance that he did, it, my the way that I work, like it, I didn't change. Right. Like, and, and to this day, even, you know, having a decent high net worth, like I, I still don't change. I don't need to go like, I don't need to have a Bentley. Like, do I like toys? Yes. I like toys. I drive nice cars and we do stuff like that. But at the same time, it's always been to me. So like, if you ever, or it's always been family and stuff. So if you see us go to like, if I ever post something and, and Mike, you've seen me do stuff for year, some years now, like my family is always with me. Like mm -hmm. we roll like, we roll like 20 deep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like, this isn't about me. This is about increasing God's kingdom and cherishing the blessings that we have in the short time that we're here on this earth. So what I would say about the juggling is in my opinion, um, the money should come secondary. And the question you should ask yourself is like, 
would I be happy with 60K a year with what I have been provided by God? And if the answer is yes, then anything's extra on top of that. Wow. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it, it is. And like, I, God is beautiful and he, he made this crazy earth and it's got all these beautiful places and all this cool stuff. And like, I don't think he would have made Ferraris if we weren't supposed to like hop in a Ferrari and see how rad it feels to be in a Ferrari. Right. Like, so I'm going to get on that. Like I want to be on that. But at the same time, I, if I had a hundred thousand dollars a year job right now, and you asked me if we were going to be okay, I would say, yeah, probably so. Right. Now, am I going to choose that for myself? No, I'm not going to because I, I believe that there's a smarter way to do that. But um, in the beginning, it was all about um, none of that mattered. In fact, actually, and I think this is really important. I just thought of this. My wife and I, and this was based off a su suggestion from my mentor, um, my wife and I had a knee-to-knee -knee conversation about what my expectation of our relationship was going to look like for about five years. And I wanted a pretty high net worth at the time. Now, if you ask me, like, we've obviously passed all that, but if you ask me, like, what my goals for net worth is, like, I don't need, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need it. Now, I have a lot of projects on the board that are actually going to give it to me so that the board does move. But, like, if you're going to spend more than, like... At, at my highest net worth, when we're traveling and buying whatever we want and doing all that stuff, like it's hard to spend more than a quarter million dollars a year, hmm. unless you're just an idiot. Right. Facts. It's also like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, you got to take care of the basic essentials first before you start thinking in this higher level of stuff. But, you know, like, well, we just had a podcast not long ago where we we're looking at most people make less than $70,000. Uh, I think what, what was the percentage of that, Frank? Do you remember? It was like ninety percent, something crazy, right? It was yeah, really joint, really yeah, joint income, yeah. I think for two income family, average right. of seventy thousand, you know, uh, for that. So I think for that guy, it's probably kind of hard because I mean, once you, I, I share with you, man, the more money I made, the more sometimes the more burden. A lot of times, the more burden I, I bared, and then uh, you have to realize, man, you're just passing through this life, right? I mean, your thing is to, to have experience, you know, and and so I'm I'm the same with you too. I well, take my kids everywhere. Yeah, know? and I think the other side is the emotional um, side of it, like the when going through and analyzing like the human being and the emotional setting and stuff, you when you get to the point where you're so busy and you're doing so much stuff, the money also does start stop to matter as much. But the other side of that is like, no one will understand the workload that you actually do to get that money. Like the stress 100%. that you came, that you've came used to, like the way that I wake up, the way that I sleep, how many things I handle all at once, all the stuff that's going on in my brain. Like I can't expect my wife to understand what that looks like. I just have to show up on my side and follow her expectations, right? Like her expectation is that we have an old saying, it's like, when you're home, take the hat off at the door, right? Like leave all the business stuff. So like my wife is a stay at home mother now. She used to work, right? She got a degree and was in the nursing field and used to work and we're in it, we're blessed and she doesn't have to do that anymore. And I don't want her. And one thing that she's evolved into is worrying about money, right? Mm -hmm. So. I don't want her to have to always worry about like the things that I'm doing to accumulate the money. I just want the money in the bank account so she doesn't have to worry. That's the right. most important thing for me. So two, two things, and I want to get back because I want to answer your question. Two things. One, when you're in that 30 to 40K a year, uh, how bad do you want it? Like, that's it. Like, how bad do you want it? If, if you want it, then go, go out and get it. God, God says like, you can have anything that you want. You ask and you shall receive. You're to anyone listening, you're more than capable to go out and generate a lot of income if you choose. It's going to come down to discipline. It's going to come down to constant growth and development. It's going to come down to being open-minded. And in my opinion, it's going to come down to having a connection with God and doing, serving him at the same time as serving yourself. In fact, serving him first and then serving yourself um, and really bless the kingdom. So, so how bad do you want it? With me, I had went through so much. I wanted it so bad. Mm. Like, I and I knew I could do it. Like, I don't know if you remember, I, I, I've said this a couple of times, but it's funny in my, my family. But um, I don't know if you remember when Conor McGregor first came out, but 
Conor McGregor used to walk around and do the yeah. arm thing. And he'd be the like, Billy yeah. And he'd be yeah. like, I see it. I believe it. And it happens. And I used to walk around when we, when I just got the wholesale company started, like we hadn't even really made that great of money yet. I used to walk around as like a joke and do that and be like, I see it. I believe it. And it happens. And I looked at my goals and it, at the time it was 5 million net worth in three years. And I looked at my goals and I, I was bound and determined to do that to the point where my wife actually, it was uncomfortable for her. And she would have conversations with me like, dude, you can't talk like that around like our parents and stuff because I had come from this environment that was unhealthy, right? So me saying like in three years, I'm going to be worth over $5 million. It sounded just like crazy talk to people, right? right. But I believed it and I made it happen. And so um, it really comes down to like, how bad do you want it? I wanted it so bad. There was nothing that was going to get in my way to stop me. That was it. How, how, I don't mean to interrupt, but what was the balance like during that phase for you? It was it all work. It, well, so I, we had the conversation with my wife and I, right? And I said, yeah. you're going to have to give me five, five um, years to get back to that. I would say it was progressive. So like in the first year or two, I was working like 17 hours a day. I would wake up at 5 a.m. and I would go until... 10, 30, 11 at night, either creating processes, systems, cold calling, looking at our list, studying, reading, never split the difference, doing whatever I could do to prepare myself with the tools that I needed. At a certain point, I'd probably say around that one to two year mark, I was able to not push as hard. And in fact, it would have probably been unhealthy to push as hard. And then I took a season of doing, opening the revenue stream, the flip slash build thing. And there was a work period, right? For I would say six months to a year, I was heavily involved. But one thing was always, one thing always remained the same is that my wife and my children came first and my friends that I was also bringing up at the same time came first and my health came first and God came first. And like, there was a package that got first priority and, and then the work came. So I had to ask permission essentially for my family and friends, I had to ask permission to give me the space to follow through with the dreams that I knew was possible. And I just wow. said, trust me. And when they gave me the permission, it was important for me to follow my word, right? And so I, I did everything under my power to do that. So yeah, was I tired working two jobs and learning cold calling scripts and having to figure out how to skip trace stuff and where do you pull data and all that? Yeah, it was really tiring. But was it worth it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was really <laughs> worth it. Looking back on it now, you know what I'm saying. And so, like, I, I had a buddy. I would say this is about three years ago, and this happened like three or four times within a week. And so, I, 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 I called it out on Facebook, which I, I was different back then than I am now. But I called it out on Facebook. But like, people would be like, I'd buy a nice car, or, or we'd go on a vacation or something, and people would always be like. Oh, it must be nice. It must be nice to get like mm. a brand new set of couches or a big TV or whatever you're getting. And I got so mad because I was like, yeah, it is nice to get those yeah. things, but you didn't work 17 hours straight for three years to get those. And you're not doing what I'm doing now to get those. So it goes back to that, like, how bad do you want it? You know what I mean? And honestly, yeah. like at my age right now, I'm, I'll be 39 in a couple weeks. Tom and I, uh, Kroll have had a lot of conversations. Like it's hard to find the motivation that I had in my mid twenties to go out and tackle the world. Like I'm good with a couple million a year. You know what I mean? Like well, I mean, Tom said it best, right? Hustle's a season, right? It uh, is. Right. It's not a lie. It's a season. You'll get burned out. But I love the fact that you ask permission. Like there's no way you get around the work. I mean, that that's that's where that's just how it is, right? But the fact that you ask permission from everybody that was important to you going, Hey, listen, this is what it's going to take. And obviously you fulfilled it. Yeah. And, and that's respect, right? I, yeah. I love my wife so much that I wanted to give her and my family the best life that I could possibly imagine. Um, and they deserved that in my eyes. I, I would say before myself, like I, I always thought of like when I would think like I had never been out of the country ever when I first started my wholesale company. Um, and I, one of my goals was like to hit like five countries or go on five vacations or something like that. When I would think about that and I was envisioning myself doing that, it was always like, she's going to love it. The kids are going to love it. 
right? Like it does, it didn't, for me, it wasn't like that. And so, um, or I shouldn't say it wasn't like that, but for me, I just wasn't, I wasn't thinking about myself. I wanted to give everyone around me a life that they never imagined. That's the best way to say it. And I was dedicated to doing that. And to this day, now I want to do that for my students that come to me and maybe only have a hundred thousand net worth, or, you know, some of them have came to me with um, million dollar net worth and I want to give them 5 million net worth, you know? And so you just got to pour out, you know what I'm saying? The, the cup runneth over. So, um, one of the things I thought that was really cool that you're mentioning is, you know, a lot of people who are getting started or even who have reached that level of seven figure success is finding that next level of accountability. And a lot of times they're like, oh, I'm going to join a coaching group or I'm going to join a Facebook community and they're going to hold me accountable. But what's really cool that you did here is that you created your own accountability within your own network, right? Give me this permission, which is your first level of accountability. If they give it to you, you have to give it back. So no one, you don't want anybody, you don't want your family down. I think that's the most, the biggest thing that people are scared of. And when I talk to couples um, who are doing things, you know, behind the other person's back, buying coaching programs without asking the significant other, I think, you know, the success rate of them, you know, I don't know the statistic here, but what I've seen is that it goes down much more because when they don't succeed at first, they have so much pressure to bring that back saying like, I did spend this money and I didn't succeed versus if I didn't get it there at first with your permission, there's a support system there. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I fail constantly and I have failed and I've learned the most from my failures. Right. Um, yeah. and the permission piece, the other thing with the accountability and stuff is like, Hey, you're right. You're a hundred percent right. Like, when starting a coaching program, the first thing that you have to learn is you're not responsible for that person. You can only give them instruction and it's not information, it's instruction. So you say, hey, I suggest you do this. Here's what I would do. Here's what I have learned by failing and succeeding on doing this. And you can only give them that. The work ethic and the things that they do on their own are going to be the base of their success, right? Right. As far as accountability, like get in where you fit in, right? There's like the old sayings. There's the old sayings with like your the top five friends will be your net worth or whatever the saying is, right? right. My friend circle has dramatically changed. Like as we're talking right now, Jason Lewis just texts me. Like Jason Lewis is one of the most beautiful minds in the world. Like yeah, he man. is yeah. absolutely this like just so Super intelligent smart. yeah, and just got such a kind heart. And he's just a, a pedigree of somebody that I want to be around, right? Around. And so as I grow and as I pay attention, um, it goes back to this age thing. You're like, well, maybe as we get a little older, we, we, we look at things a little differently. I realize that my tolerance for being around people that I don't have any motivation in what they're doing, it's just not as high as, as it used to be, right? So I cut people that aren't like, get in where you fit in. Like mm -hmm. I, I hang out with people that are like-minded, beautiful-minded. I can't tell you how many people call me um, and, and send me videos and messages just being like, I care for you, brother. Like, hope everything's good. Like Medley, Andrews, like all these guys, uh, Phelps, like all these guys are just like constantly just checking in on me. Those are the friends that I want. And yeah. if you surround yourself and, and I do it to them, right? Like I send them videos, it, even if it's something dumb, like me and my wife did that uh, tortilla slap challenge the other day. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Yeah, I loved it's, it. It's hilarious. Hilarious. And I like sent it to a couple of those guys that live in other states. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, let's see yours. Like we're a family and we're friends. And um, if any of them are hurting, I want to be able to help them in any way that I can, which also is the reason that I read and I study and I teach and I do all the things is because like, I want to be the best version to give more than I expect in compensation, right? Um, Bob Berg, uh, Bob Berg 101 in um, The Go-Giver. How do you create value? You give more than you expect in compensation. And so, so that accountability thing, I think is if you're doing the right thing and you're living by what I would say, Proverbs is one of the best books ever. Just, you know, read Proverbs and do what they say to do in there. And you'll live a pretty dang good life. Like mm. if you're doing those things, the right people are going to come into your atmosphere and that accountability will just happen naturally. Right. Yeah, that's fair, man. That's fair. Tell us a little bit about your coaching program, man. Yeah. So, uh, we have, we develop. Um, it's a private client. I was actually going to scale it, um, but I have enough stuff going on in development and some other stuff. And I really kind of get more individually. So uh, we have essentially well-documented 
everything under the sun that I've ever done, whether it's wholesaling, flipping, processes, systems, CRMs, our vendors, our procurement managers, our networks, how we do things, job descriptions, expectations, any document that you could think of, legal stuff, like everything. And we, we have that for anything from wholesaling, flipping, building, building at scale, subdivisions, single family subdivisions, multifamily subdivisions, townhomes, uh, flex storage, and any of that. So Jeez. it kind of, en it, it encompasses a big thing. And the reason I say individual client is because based on the individual client's needs, that's what the focus point will be, at mm. least for that season, right? Like, so I have a lot of those guys in and women in there right now that um, they started flipping houses and then maybe got into new construction. And now we're working on getting them some like entitled paper to develop, right? It's their natural progression. So the target can move, um, but we really just find out what their needs are, find out who the person is, what what, what is their PI, what, what kind of person am I dealing with? Make sure that one thing that I left out, this is a huge piece of the puzzle, is we help them set stuff up the correct way. Like, so it's an actual business. Nice. I, I operate the best way in CEO or owner's box. If I'm not in CEO or owner's box, then my company isn't where I want it to be. And I'm always trying to get that company to succession essentially and so i'm always trying to get myself into the ceo box and the owner's box and if i'm not in those then i'm doing too much right um and so i either need to hire or i need to switch up my business model um and so we we handle a lot of that so we find out what their wants are find out what their needs are then we help them set up the businesses getting the llc's in the right states the right cpas the right bookkeepers all, all the right stuff um and then we go out and and we do work, you know what I mean? So I would love to tap a question because, you know, that, that term CEO is such an elusive word. Everybody wants to be called a CEO, but I feel like nobody really understands what that means. It's like, I just want to have it on my LinkedIn or somewhere so people think I'm cool, right? You've yeah. run multiple businesses, you know, multiple COO seven. also. Yeah, COO, right? A absolutely COO. So, you know, for those who are out there who are kind of just, you know, enamored by the title, but are probably failing at that role. You know, if you could just simplify, what does a CEO do for a business? You know, what should they be doing for a business? Uh, if, if, so I'll, I'll do two parts. One, if you've never read the book, A CEO Should Only Do Three Things by Trey Taylor, that is where I would start. But to answer your question real simply, it's a CEO does money, people, and culture. If you're doing anything other than money, people, and culture in your company, then you're wearing more hats than other than just the CEO hat, which is fine. That's fine if that's where you're at in business or if that's where you want to be. But if you truly want to be an effective CEO that is doing the most that you can for your business, you should be focused on the three primary things, which is money, people, and culture. So in my company, if somebody asks me to do something, there, there's not a lot that I won't do for them, right? But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it for them in the sense that like, hey, I'm going to take that for you. And I'll, uh, I'm not going to do that in the sense where I'm like, going to continue to do that, right? I might help them out for like a day or something if they need some help with something. But in my company, if it doesn't have anything to do with people, money and culture, somebody else in my company is handling that. And if they're not handling that, then they're not fulfilling their job expectation and requirement. Right. So if somebody comes to me and says, um, hey, hey, uh, how much did you how much did we spend on how much did we spend on the Croft House? Right. I'll say, well, did you go to Zeb, who's my COO? Right. Or I'll say, did you go on Builder Trend and look at the final costs? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. like, I don't agree. I have no. quarterlies for something like that, right? Yeah, they need to. They need to be doing what their job expectation is. And if they don't have any business asking me that question, then it. You know what I mean? It's not their lane. Like maybe they're just a. Um, maybe they're like you know a framer or something like that. You know what I mean? They don't need anything for the total cost. They might not know that CRM, so I might like give them some information just so they know where we're at. Right? It's a team effort. But if it's a if it's a task in my company, I don't do it unless it's people, money, or culture. Unless unless I'm doing it to help the better of the company, right? I agree. I think most CEOs uh, they work they should be working in the future, 
right? All the things that you're making decisions on and stuff like that, it's, it's like in the future led. It should be happening down the, lay, uh, down the way rather than the day to day. Yeah, you're a visionary, right? Yeah. CEOs are almost often like I'm a captain on my PI. So I'm very heavy, see, uh, very heavy visionary, but I have some integrator in me. So like I'm not the guy in my company to fully engineer all of our systems and processes. I can typically create a very good system and process and then I pass it to Zeb. Zeb trims it up, makes it look nice, connects it with all the other CRMs and all the other stuff that we're doing. And then it works effectively, right? Um, gets with Everybody needs a Zeb. Huh? Everybody needs a Zeb. Everybody needs a Zeb, yeah. So I and I, and I think that the the la, the other side of that, the the negative side of that, is that if you are doing things that you're not supposed to be doing as an active CEO in your company, you're actually disabling your crew. You're 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 enabling them to not do their job, right? And by by every sense of the word, you're disabling your company because then everyone expects you to do everything for them. And you can never do that. So, I mean, the best way that I ever did it and how we practice it in our company is it's like an org chart, but it's essentially accountability chart. And it's who sits in the seat, okay? Casey sits in the design seat. Do you understand the position? Yes, I understand the position. In the next six to 12 months, do you wanna be in that position? Yes, I wanna be in that position. If the answer is no, then I have six to 12 months to hire somebody to do those responsibilities. I love that. That's my first time here and then I love it. And I need yes. to do that for my business. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. So I, I'm curious, man, you know, what, what was, I always like to figure out like team building, you know, if your first hires, cause a lot of people here are kind of doing like, hey, I'm wearing multiple hats. It's kind of where my business is right now. Um, I, I hired my first um, operations manager. So what was your first essential hire to get you from six to seven? And then what was the next hire that got you from one to your next multi-million dollar uh, benchmark? Um, I hired, well, essentially I never understood, I do now, and I actually think it's a really effective model, but I never, I always thought the team model was better for construction, managing your own team, dictating your own speed, dictating your own costs and not paying a premium for somebody else to do the work, right? When you have the ability to do it yourself. So I, my first hire was like three or four guys and hourly was different at the time, but like three or four guys that were at like 10, 15 bucks an hour. And then I hired, um, I did an equity split, which I don't recommend partners very often, but I did an equity split with um, somebody who had more experience than me in construction. And I ended up evolving faster than what his, what my expectation was of him. And so I ended up getting rid of him inevitably. But so I hired a whole bunch of hourlies to help me do construction work, right? That was the thing. So we were going to flip the house and then sub out anything that we didn't. My first hire was uh, an executive assistant. Well, I guess it would have just been an assistant at the time. I hired Zeb as my assistant. And within about three weeks of riding around with the dude, I, it, well, Zeb was already working on my construction crew. Um, mm. He was like our finished painter, essentially. Wow. Um, and, and, and kind of like do it all, dude, because he's wildly smart. But um, so I hired him as an assistant within like three weeks, I realized he was intellectually, um, it, that was a, the assistant role wasn't going to last for very long. And so I put him in, I put him in what would have been a mock COO, even though I didn't know anything about it at the time, I put him in a leadership role where he would manage the construction crew nice. that allowed me to do what is a microcosm of a CEO. It allowed me to focus on deal flow, getting better deals, things like that. Um, and then the next big hire was still actually one of those guys that was on my construction crew. I promoted him to um, head project manager. And so then he answered to Zeb and Zeb could actually step away from the on-site stuff and help with the bigger picture. And then wow. it kind of trickled on. But like a lot of my dudes have been with me for since the beginning. But in fact, my head project manager, my head project manager still to this day, he's actually director of construction was a cold caller for me in my wholesale business. And then my, CEO, my COO for my other two companies, uh, my wholesaling company and we develop. So he's the active COO in, in those companies. He was actually a cold caller for me uh, when we were wholesaling too. And then Zeb was there as a painter in the beginning. So we just kind of grew. We grew into our, our britches were too big. You know, we were wearing dad's shoes and, uh, <laughs> and, and grew, 
<laughs> you know, I've done that. I always try to promote from within, and I've made, I've made the mistake of putting somebody in the seat that they just weren't equipped, right? Like, you're like, hey, I think you're smart. I think you're, you know, let's talk about Zeb. You know, hey, you're smart. You obviously, you're, you shouldn't be in this role. You should be higher up. And then I would put them in this place, and they just couldn't execute because I. it was really my fault. It's always your fault when you put somebody in, in a spot that they can't execute, right? right? Did you ever experience anything like that? How did you get uh, through it? Oh, hundred um, percent. There's a lot of there's a lot of negative, seemingly negative um, attachments that come with the way that I do things. So, like when I'm coaching people, I don't necessarily recommend doing it the way that I did it. Remember, in the beginning, I said family first. So, part of my goal and part of my stuff was not just about me. I wanted to raise the net worth and well being and livelihood of the people that were around me, and yeah. I wanted them to have the wildest and best life that they possibly could. What comes with that is your friends are your employees, which you got to draw a line in the sand. And nowadays I have no problem drawing that line in the sand and they expect it from me. But in the beginning it was hard. Cause like take this dude that you went golfing with on Friday and on Monday you got to ream him because he misappropriated a whole bunch of budgets. And then on Tuesday they're having dinner at your house. Like you got like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, a, different, it's a different type of dynamic. Um, I'm able to do it because everybody that is around me knows I'm coming from a loving place and I just want us to be the best that we possibly can be. So they understand the framework in it. Um, but like going back to your point, I would say about two years ago, we started doing everything with predictive index. So any okay. hire that we made was predictive index based and um, that has allowed us a lot of freedom to put the right people in the right seats. And we've grown uh, exponentially since then. And the other side of that that I would say is um, that you have to be okay with, you have to be okay with taking, out of, taking somebody out of that unhealthy situation and putting them in a healthier situation, even though they might not see it at the time, right? Yeah. So a great example of that is we had one of my buddies uh, that was actually a childhood buddy had been doing construction in Oregon. I moved him up here and I made him a project manager in my company. He's not the greatest at on-site project management. And so that was an error on my part. He can do all the work in the house, but leadership wise, he's just not the best um, he's not going to do your lists and all the requirements and have the leads print them out and put them up the way that he is. And then also be able to follow the budget and the scope of work. And it's just not his jam. So I actually removed him from on site to he's now our head estimator and he absolutely thrives in the role. Like mm -hmm. he's computer oriented. He's in his space. He can talk well. So he understands how to talk with people and he's thriving because of it. Right. But when I initially gave him the, told him that I was making the change, he's like, so I'm going to be in an office all day. Right. Like he was pissed. Yeah. Um, but you have to do for them what they won't do for themselves. Right. I would expect somebody to be like, I hate my job as a project manager because I suck at it. You know what I mean? But they're not going to tell you that there's too much ego involved. And so like in my company, I suck at computers. I'm not, I'm literally not allowed to touch computers in my company. <laughs> People will come up behind me and be like, can I type that for you? Sure. So I just know it's not my strength. So I don't do it. You know what That's I mean? And right. so I'm, I'm at a stage where I know myself well enough that I, I know that I'm not good and I don't have the desire to learn all of it. So I have one of my other employees or, you know, somebody in my company that enjoys that has the capability of that and has the intellectual capability to do it. Like I have them do all that stuff. So that, to answer your question, Mike, I mean, it, it is hard, right? Yeah. You, yeah. There's, but if you asked me if I had a choice to hire some of the best employees um, that I could have off of PI and not bring my guys up and give them the life that they have today, I would still to this day not do it that way. I'm probably the same, man. I have a big loyalty gene. It sounds like you do too. You know what I mean? Uh, and sometimes it hurts my business. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I have a very low turnover rate and, and, you know, I love the people we work, I work with. So yeah, same here. And, uh, yeah. you know, the most expensive thing you can do in a company is hiring somebody because you have hiring right. training on board and that's universal, whether you're opening a restaurant, you're doing whatever hiring is the most expensive. We have a massive but when we scale. You have to, I mean, uh, you can't scale with that. And I truly scale, right? I mean, we're not in that point in, in my business where we have to do that, but uh, I, it sounds like you're almost there or you are there. No, we are there. We, yeah. we, 
we've hired out for specific positions. Like, so I have Sawyer is my head of construction, but I have my offsite head of construction that has like 30 years of experience. He's done everything under the sun, built skyscrapers to little homes. He knows, he knows construction inside and out and probably knows more than Sawyer will know within the next like 15, 20 years. Right. Mm, But he doesn't want to drive around and be on, on site. He wants to sit in his office and mess with Bluebeam and do all that kind of stuff. Right. So we have hired out. The other thing is I will let people go. And that's the thing, like, don't get it twisted. And they know this about me. Like I love you and we are friends, but this is food on my family's plate and you're part of that family. And if you're going to take food off the family's plate, like you have to go. Oh, I feel you on that one, dude. So they they know what the line is. um, And and most of them don't cross it and it is what it is. And if they do, then we have to obviously rehire for that position. But I just want everybody to do well, man. Like at the end of the day, keep it real simple. And I just want all my people, like when I go, like, let's say, we're going to see the world cup and this is just arbitrary, but let's say we're going to see the world cup. I don't want to call you Mike and you not, you want to go, but not have the ability because of financial reasons to go. Mm. Right. And one of the mistakes that I did when I first started making money was I paid for everybody to do everything. Right. Um, I had finally had this abundance and wealth and I was just like, Oh, it's all good. I'll pay for it. I'd buy people plane tickets and, you know, pay for their hotels and stuff so that they could enjoy the experience. And I, I will no longer do that. Um, and part of that reason is because I want my one and a half percent reserves in case anything happens. But I do want to give them the ability or at least the opportunity to make that money themselves. Right. And so for me, it's all about family. Like I just want everybody to do well and the better we treat people and the, the more that those people are willing to to go through some pressure, some stress and remain open minded, then everybody can have a seat at the table and everybody can eat well. You know what I mean? Cases like Drake, you know, always <laughs> taking his, you know, his people around, paying for things. Awesome. <laughs> growing, yeah. I, I used to get, I used, my wife used to get mad at me because, anyway, it's a long, it's a long, it's. He's walking in with like story. you know three or uh, ten guys behind him and stuff like I think, that. I, think I just never like, had, I never had money my whole life. I, I was raised poor. Yeah. So when you we have, all, seven I think we're all in that, man. We're all. I, I can't speak for Frank. Frank, were you? I was definitely. I didn't. Oh, realize, I, used to pay for, I, I didn't pay for stuff when I was broke. I pay for stuff now, and my wife still says the same thing. But I think it comes down to our backgrounds as entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Uh, we, like you said, money's not a thing. If sixty k is enough for me, everything else is, is is icing on the cake. So I like taking the care of the people around me because what's three hundred dollar covering a three hundred dollar bill, a thousand dollar bill. When I'm focusing on the bigger picture, all this is going to come back to me. As long as my reserves are there, I offer, I, I work off a of profit first. So I'll know exactly where my money's at, right? I can yeah. afford to do this 500 bucks versus my friend who did it. It's like, oh crap, uh, I'm not going to be able to eat next week because I try to look cool in front of my friends. You know, there's a difference there in, in, in mindset. Yeah. And like, once again, give more than you expect in compensation. So I'm not saying I don't pay for any things anymore, but like if I want to go to a nice restaurant, and I want some of my friends there that want to go to the restaurant, but don't have the ability to eat at the same table. Like I'm going to pay for them to eat at the table where I think I made a mistake is when it wasn't just dinner. Right. Mm. Um, and, and I was the first time I had had a lot of money and we, you know, we'd go overseas and I'd pay for them all and I'd pay for everything while we were there. And, you know, you go back and look at those numbers and they add up to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Those hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars could have came in handy last year when, when stuff got hairy, right? So right. it's just about getting your scar tissue, learning. I, nobody's perfect. That's a big thing. Like I can't be too critical with myself, but I also need to learn from my mistakes. So um, what part of being a good steward is is handling the money well, right? So I, I try to handle the money well, but I also want to give, I want to give a lot too. Like whenever you're like dating a lady or you do that, what do they call it? The emotional whatever it is. Where is, your, is your wife right behind you? looking over his shoulder. Like, love, oh, like, lo- like the love <laughs> language. Like, yeah, the love language, the five love languages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. like mine is, mine is like, uh, it's giving gifts. Okay. And my wife, uh, my wife's, my wife's the opposite. In fact, she doesn't even care if she get gifts. She wants like affection, right? Ah, yeah. touch or quality time. Right. And so like, I like, I'm the same as you, if I was broke or if I'm not broke, like I, I like giving to people. It's just in mm. my DNA. That's your love language. But there's just, a, it's my love language. But it's, <laughs> it's just a, uh, it's a part of me, but also I need to be wiser than I was yesterday and learn from my mistakes. And so I'm not frivolous with my stuff anymore. And um, I think that's just part of growing as a human being. I mean, I think you could take that into any aspect, not just business, but 
Right on, brother. Right on. You guys, you got something to say? Uh, go ahead, I just, yeah, it, it, this is just something for our audience to listen to this. And I've, I've, I've noticed a common theme. I'm very big on pattern recognition. And most successful entrepreneurs that I know who hire from within or things like that is every time I talk to anybody trying to break into this business, doesn't matter where your income level is, they're always trying to look for the shortcut or the uh, skipping steps. Right. And what's cool about your team is they all start from the boiler room, ground up. They learn the business. Doesn't matter what role they were in, but they eventually got evolved into a, a managerial or a C-suite role um, because they knew your business, right? Including yourself, right? Calling, making phone calls, cult, you know, and perfecting your processes, where you now have all of these SOPs, these checklists, everything ready to go for your coaching program. Until this day, people have been in the education space for ten years have never documented that stuff. And it continues to blow my mind. These are clients of mine. I'm like, hey, what have you? No, we're just starting now. It's like, why? Right? Uh, uh, I think it's just uh, really, go ahead. I was just gonna say document everything. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to commend you for that, man. I think everything that you've earned, and you know this too, you know, all, you know, all grace be, be to God is like, you know, he was there alongside the way, but you were the there, you were the soldier that he was empowering to, you know, you know, conquer this part of your life. And I think, to be people think, oh, it's luck, it's that or this. No, even everybody on your team who's now eating at the table has started at level one, right? Yeah. So if you're listening to this now, guys, and you're like, oh, I want to, you know, skip some steps. It's like, I don't think that's sustainable. <laughs> I think there's so much power to being at the ground floor, whether that's three months, six months. It, the light at the end of your tum tunnel is where Casey's at now, but you don't get there without eating some shit to, to begin with. I'm just sorry. No. Yeah, there's no, no shortcuts. There is zero. Yeah, if you if you think you got, uh, like let's say let's say you like do a wholesale deal and you one of your first wholesales is you you stumble into an entitled lot and somebody helps you with it or something like that and you make like a million bucks on that deal right and you become a millionaire like overnight right that can happen and I've seen it happen and it it, it does happen but God at some point in your life will teach you how to make that million dollars the hard way right? Um, what it actually means to make a million dollars and how much money a million dollars actually is. Um, there's no shortcuts. You, you, it, it comes, it comes around. And if you do take shortcuts, I said it earlier in the thing, like the fastest way somewhere is slowly mm. the beauty in the documentation of all the job descriptions and job expectations is that not only is every system well documented within your company and every process, but every job expectation and every job description is documented. And so if something does happen to one of your major players in your company, you have the ability to go train that and everything. It's not a scramble to try to figure out how are we going to fit this role, right? And in fact, what I do in my company is I usually have one to two people who can do almost everything in the company. So like Jackson, my procurement manager, who's also COO of two of my other companies, um, he does the design and he does the procurement, but he also works with our bookkeeper with my COO of Taylor Jean Homes and understands Builder Trend, which is the CRM we use for construction. And he understands the construction process and is actually, his expectation is to be at every construction meeting that we have once a week. And so he can, if, if you have to lean an employee by definition, essentially is like, okay, let's say you have 20 employees, you got to go down to 10, but the responsibilities need to be spread out throughout, right? He's able, he, he can go sit in a couple other roles and be effective until we either A, get another person or find out that we don't need another person. He can do both roles and maybe we give him a little bump on his salary or maybe he gets a bonus or whatever the case is, right? But so we, we try to cross train a lot also. Love yeah. that, man. Love that. Dude, I know we've been going, we're going a bit. I could, I could probably be on here for another hour because we haven't even got into the construction side of things, but I definitely think we got to have Casey back, you know, let yeah, us know in the comments. That's, a lot. If that's something that would be important to you. If you're curious about how to get into luxury modeling spec homes, I think there's an arm development. Within, yeah. Development, right? I think that's like the natural progression for most people who've been in real estate for a while. There's just a lot of question marks there. So we'd love to have you back. But before we do that, you know, what, where can people find more information about you? Um, is there a book that you've written? You know, is there, you know, social media? Where, where can people find just learn more about Casey? Yeah, I haven't written the book yet. I've got, I've got pages of the book written and stuff, but it's going to be more of a life story thing. Um, 
but uh facebook i'm i'm like super i'm horrible at technology so facebook <laughs> uh instagram is taylor jean homes so it's at taylor jean homes t-a-y-l-o-r-j-e-n-e homes um so you can get a hold of me on messenger or you can get a hold of me on instagram um also if you want to reach out i would just reach out to Mike or whoever, if you have their contact and I'm, I'm happy to give out my cell phone number. Um, you know, if, if it permits to the, to the right group or whatever the case is, but typically Instagram and messengers like the quick snapshot to get me. Um, okay. How about your coaching program as well? Same thing. Okay. Um, you, you can also email, uh, Casey, actually you can email, uh, Jackson, which is J A S C. Know, we'll get the it. link, man. Don't even worry about it. Jackson at we-develop.com um, and you can get in touch with me. But what I would say is if, if you want to get into the coaching program, just message me. Um, I typically check my messages. I have people looking after my emails and stuff, but my messages, I, I typically check myself. Um, right and then we'll schedule, a, we'll schedule a 30 minute consultation call and learn a little bit about whoever the the person is and see if we're a good fit. And if not, maybe I can recommend somebody that would be a better fit. So right on brother. Hey, Thanks. appreciate you, Casey. That was awesome, man. This was awesome. Right. So thank you guys. Show this guy some love. Um, thank you guys so much for listening and staying tuned to the end. Uh, you guys are the reason why we're here and creating this amazing value for you guys. I love it. I got so much out of today. Thank you so much for your time, Casey. Best of luck, man. God bless. Yeah, God bless. Definitely have you guys back on, man. Cheers. Yep. I know. Have a good day. All right. All Bye y'all. Tune in. I hope you receive value from this episode. If so, please share this podcast with your friends so we can help more people just like you. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, IG, and YouTube at Real Talks. That's R-E-I-L Talks. So until next time, keep it cool and keep it real.